the time when you're a child, you're you're being led by other people and you're being led by their decisions about what you should do with your life and how you should live it. And a lot of us grow with the values of our parents telling us what to do and us following it. And then, I don't know, for me, I would say there were certain things that happened to me along the way that I've gone, I'm not gonna do it the way my parents would expect me to. And yes, I know I'm taking a risk, you know, but inside myself, this feels right. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specializing in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, Leanne, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. I stalk you big time on Instagram. <laughs> I love your message. I love how you're so friendly and you're like, Hi, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, well, and you know, some of it is just because like day to day, most of us are dealing with a lot of stuff. And isn't it just nice to kind of engage with content that's like humorous and warm and consistent and just lets you kind of forget things for all of, you know, if it's a minute that Twitter allows you to record for or the two minutes that I might engage with people. So I do make a conscious effort that possibly lifting up a few people's days and I do get quite a lot of messages about Definitely. my little video. I will like watch it over and over and over again. It just makes me smile so much because I think sometimes you take everything a bit too seriously. Could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Mm. I was like, you know, the who, who am I? Who are um, you? Yeah, no, always really interesting. And I'm, I've got this default expression that I always say, as a child, I was Leanne the gymnast. As an adult, I'm Leanne the physiotherapist. As though I don't have any other identities. Of course, I have other <laughs> identities. You know, I'm one of four. I'm the eldest of four kids. My mum's name is Denise. My dad's name's Gus. They're very bubbly, sprightly people. Like my dad's one of those people who he hugs you almost to death. Um, <laughs> I'm taller than my dad and my mum. So, yeah. I'm, How you tall know, are you? I always say I'm never going to say online. So, yeah, I'm five foot ten. My dad's only really about five foot seven and my mum's smaller than that. So I'm obviously some, you know, some kind of throwback. But um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a physiotherapist. I'm based in Hertfordshire in Radlett. And I've been doing physiotherapy now for 15 years, but I was a physio assistant before that. So I've been working with people, serving people for the last 20 years. I, I was a gymnast growing up. So from the age of three till I was about 17, I did gymnastics and I did it semi-professionally. So I was in the States competing for the wow. London Gymnastics Federation. I was 11 years old competing in Russia. I think it was a really brave decision of my parents to let me go and compete in Russia. Because when I think about it, an 11-year-old black child in Russia would have been, yeah, to let your child go away on that kind of trip. I think they just probably trusted the process as people talk about trusting the process. But, uh, and I didn't go with my regular gymnastics coach because obviously I wasn't competing for my club. It was a, it was a regional competition. I... I think that I'm someone who like literally lives on the edge, on the edge of my comfort zone all the time. So I'm always pushing my boundaries. I say that my, my enjoyments in life, food, family, fitness, fun, friends, you know, I'm, a, I'm really passionate about life. I've recently been voted on to become a council member of the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy. 
Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I am a voiceover artist. Wow. Videoing, so I use my voice, uh, you know, on, on people's adverts, on people's intranet based portals. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with the gym. Yeah, she, uh, what you were lifting like 110. That's just like, was that just the warm up? Honestly, that's like my max. There's like 10. I, I want more. I mean, I, that was um, 110 kg, four reps. That was, I want to get that up for sure. No I'm problem. Yeah. Did you do CrossFit? It's, it's kind of a version of, of CrossFit, functional training, I think they call it. Okay. I do. We don't do much like, like clean and press work and stuff over our head so we don't it's not quite crossfit but it's yeah it's quite heavy lifting it is quite heavy lifting <laughs> so talk to me about living life on the edge all of the time yeah yeah um <laughs> so I guess in many ways I would probably say that I've lived with anxiety my whole life probably because of living on the edge. So I remember as a gymnast biting my nails quite a lot. My dad would we'd sit down at the breakfast table and he'd say, oh, Missy Gold, that's my nickname. Why, why are you biting your nails like that, you know? And I'd be like, I don't know, you know, it was just a habit. But gymnastics was quite a, a pressurized environment. But then I was doing that alongside school. So, you know, and if I didn't finish my homework, I couldn't go to the gym. And I knew I wanted to go to the gym and I was at the gym five, six days a week, right? Um, so there's always been this element of me balancing, I'm gonna say in inverted commas, school-like work, you know, and this passion that I had then for doing gymnastics. I think that as I've got older, I have learned that it's not ideal to live on the edge all the time. Although I do think that I do what I would describe as sprints. So I know that I want to achieve something. I know that there's a time frame on achieving it. I will push to, to achieve that goal. And when I'm there, I then know that I need to take my foot off the gas. Although sometimes I don't take my foot off the gas quite when I should do. So I'm accelerating and I'm thinking, this is going well, why would I need to pull back? Don't pull back, keep going. And sometimes that has led to episodes of me being quite burnt out or feeling like, yeah, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Uh, it doesn't always work out. But I think that my, and people will see this on my social media, you know, my default is about happiness. My default is about enjoyment. My default is to smile and to soak up the best of life. And maybe that's, you know, some of how my parents have raised me in terms of, you know, always trying to see the slightly brighter picture. Although my mum will tell you that she's very much a realist. So if I'm if she thinks I'm stretching myself, she will tell me about myself. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was going to say, it's like every West Indian parent <laughs> very sharply will, will tell me about myself. But yeah, I think in some ways, some of that behavior is what you do when you want to achieve things. Some of that is the behavior of, of trying to be successful. But I do think you have to get that balance between that effort level your mental, physical, emotional uh, well-being, and then just making sure you're surrounding yourself with people who will tell you this is a bit much. I don't think you should do that. This might not be a good idea. Because I think that in that space, if you've got the right kind of people around you, when the time to stop or to push and do something, you know, to be incentivized by something, it, it comes up very naturally. I don't know how many of us are really all that conscious about some of some of those, you know, those emotions or that communication and feedback that we're probably constantly getting. <laughs> so when you say trying to be successful, mm. are we always trying or are, are you not successful now? <laughs> That's a really good question, you know. I was talking to somebody the other day and somebody was, they constantly were saying to me, you know, because you've got to this point yet and you're so successful and you're so successful. And they said it so many times. And I thought, how do we define success? Like what it means to me might be different to what it means to you. I think that what I feel is that I have made a lot of efforts in my past in order for people to see me as they see me now. And I would say that that effort is 
pretty much a solid 20 years of effort, right from being a physiotherapy assistant to making people like, you know, I want to be a physiotherapist. Can you please support me? And if I can get that support, you know, yes, I've got to work here for a period of time. And then that becomes right now, I want uh, to get a junior position and now I want to get a senior position and, and seeking that recognition and that approval all the time. So I think that I won't, I can't, and I can't say that I'm not successful, but sometimes I think the, the goalpost changes in terms of I've got here, I've got to this point, and is this what I've been looking for? It, like, is this, is this it? And I, I think some of this comes from me working in my purpose, but you don't, you have to go through a journey to be able to see, I think, to see what your purpose is, or maybe you've had an idea about what your purpose is, but you're not hundred percent sure. And through your, your work, through your interactions with other people, that starts to become visible. So I never really look at it in terms of success because I, I'm always looking that I'm always looking at the fact that I'm, I've, I work hard and I've had to work hard, you know? So, and maybe if I stopped and thought about it as success, and I'm not talking about not being reflective, if I thought, oh, this is me and this is success, maybe there's a little bit of me that thinks, would I stop? Would I do things differently? So I just don't, I just don't look at it in that way. <laughs> Let's list some of your accolades. Okay. <laughs> so international gymnast. Yes. <laughs> How long have you been a physio? 15 years. 15 years of physio. How long have you owned your private practice? Six years, although only since May have I had a clinic, a physical clinic. But yeah, I've had distinct physiotherapy now for six years. Six years, businesswoman. Six years, businesswoman, yes. Chartered Society of Physiotherapists board member. Correct, yes. Are you happy? I'm happy. I'm smiling. I'm sure they can hear my, me smiling. <laughs> Any, anything else you'd like to, not you wouldn't like to, because nobody yeah. likes doing this. <laughs> anything else that you have where you've set a goal and you have achieved it and you felt really proud of yourself? Um, so even before I became a council member, I've been a CSP, uh, Chartered Society of Physiotherapy spokesperson. And that has afforded me quite a few opportunities in terms of contributing to the BBC, for example, the Times, um, Sainsbury's Magazine, Women's Health. Mag I, I was speaking to a friend of mine in America who does a lot of speaking and she was saying, you know, you do physiotherapy, but how come you don't do speaking stuff? And I said, well, actually, it seems really tough to get paid to speak in the UK, you know, as opposed to how it, it sets in the US. And um, we were having a long conversation about that. And then she said to me, you've done all these things. And she listed a few things to me. And I went, yeah, that's true. And she said, so tell me again why you're not. And I was like, uh... And, and obviously, I, 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 I would love to pursue my passion in speaking, and I, and I will do that. But again, I do think that my physiotherapy journey has been a vessel towards that platform, particularly talking about, you know, health and wellness, well-being. Talking, you know, I, I've started to, where I'm placed, where my clinic is, I'm starting to see a lot more people of colour, particularly black people coming to my clinic. I'm, I'm much more central to, to black people being able to, to come to see me. And there have been certain things that I've noticed, um, and I don't have data on it, but certain things that I've noticed about black people and their health that I think, oh, you know, I can't be the only person that's noticed that or this or the only person that's asking certain questions. So it's not until somebody stops you and you start contextualizing that in terms of <laughs> striving to something else, because this is another, you know, potentially another effort that you start going, yeah, I have done, I have done quite a lot. I think that, you know, some of this I, I was gonna say is a little bit sensitive in the fact that you know, I've explained to people before that some of my breakfast times with my dad would be about being black and having to work harder. Why is um, that sense? Why do you, why would you say hmm. that's sensitive? Because I don't think that that's something that 
lots of people know, you know, and, and when you ask people what their conversations, you know, what were your conversations at breakfast time? <laughs> yeah, they were the same, yeah. Right, do, do you see what I mean? Mm. And And sometimes the conversations were there just from the fact that my dad would be explaining that, you know, you, you're going to have to put in extra effort. I, I grew up in Harrow. Um, there were not very many black people in my school, in my year, you know, there were like four of us and maybe that was two in each, you know, two in each um, class for that year. I also think that it becomes quite frustrating when you feel like your effort, you've had to put in so much effort over the years, like all the time to, to you know, to get that, I'm going to say seal of approval to, you know, I came from a, a secondary school where I got a head girl position and on getting that position, they decided they would give that position to me with one of my white counterparts. They'd never had a joint head girl before. Why did they decide that they needed that when I got there? And, and a lot of these things sort of play on your self-esteem, despite how confident you feel about your yourself. You start to ask questions that a lot of people can't really answer. Nobody knows why that's happened. And, and I did go back to the school to offer out the National Records of Achievements. They asked me to go back. They didn't ask me to go with my, my white counterpart. <laughs> I went back on my own. Um, <laughs> when I, got there, I mean, we can laugh about it now, right? <laughs> but it's awkward, right? <laughs> you know, not for me. Like now, as, as the age that I am, and looking back at that, I'm like, that must have been real awkward for them, not me. But when I got to the school, there was a black head girl and she was head girl by herself, you know? And in my mind, I felt like I had made a sacrifice to take it joint because at the time I didn't have to take it jointly. I could have said, no, actually either you're giving it to me and it's just me. Now at 15, you're not gonna make that kind of command to your school, are you? I went home and I had a discussion with my parents about this. Why would they do that? And, and what does this mean? And, you know? But then to go back several years later and see that a black girl is in that position on her own, it made it feel like it was worth it. I didn't have to tell her that what had happened to me. It didn't, mm. at the time, you know, her age, my age at that point, didn't seem like it was necessary. But I felt like I had made that sacrifice and that meant that she could stand in that position on her own, you know? So, yeah, I hope that that answers <laughs> some of what you're asking me. <laughs> How important is representation to you now, especially as you are, you, you are, a, I'd say a board member, you are a council member at the CSP. Right. Yeah. Mm, the representation to me has always been important. I don't think that that's, I don't think it's become more important now. Okay. I think it's always been important, but I have grown up in a household where we have African statues in our home. We have, you know, a West Indian, you know, say West Indian jazz band that's black as statues in our home. You know, my, my home, my childhood home was very, very cultured. So if I came from an environment where I was the minority, which often was a lot of the time, I told you I grew up in Harrow. Um, when I went home, that was my space. That was my haven, my safe haven. And when I got home, it didn't matter what happened in the day, this was where I could be exactly who I wanted to be. And I could express how I was feeling or, and as I've said, my dad was that person, you know, and still is. The dinner table was a time when you had certain conversation. How was your day? My dad always wanted to know how was the day? He was never asking you specifically about one thing, but he knew if he opened up conversation, you would start to tell him things and he would start to ask you a little bit more about this and a little bit more. And he still does that now, you know? So I, I don't think that, representation to me is any more important to me now than it than it has been as I've grown up I think I was fortunate you know I've been fortunate that representation whether it was actually physically there or not coming from a background of knowing who you are is important and I think that creates a, a, like a massive foundation for a lot of people if I show you somebody of your skin color or of your sexual orientation and I tell you that they've met this position if you don't feel like you've got some grounding about who you are, the element of representation can almost fade away a little bit because there's still work for you to do on you. I do think that what's probably more important to me in terms of representation is that those of us 
who feel like we've got the scope to step into a position that is of some form of influence, that we do so in order to be, you know, representative. And I'm conscious that decisions that I make now in terms of, you know, for example, even being on council or taking opportunities to be, you know, media spokesperson or building my own business. I'm very conscious about how some of this looks to my godchildren. I've got a handful of godchildren. And I do think about what some of this will look like to them. Maybe because I have a, you know, a godmother that I'm very, very close to and has impacted me greatly. And she's, you know, white Irish, you know. Um, but I see, you know, some of her work and her efforts, and I know how much she's influenced me. And I'm very conscious that the youngsters coming up do need people to look up to. They do need people to, to be able to approach and go to. And that, that is important. I, I, cannot, I cannot deny that. But that fundamental work, that basic work, I do think that needs to be there too. When you went for council, why did we talk? We spoke because I felt like I wasn't sure whether I was the right person for the job. Like, could I do it? Was it for me? I was also conscious about the fact that I didn't want to take, you know, over the last six years of building distinct, there hasn't been anybody around to like filter me or tell me that there's something I can't say or can't do. And I was concerned that in taking on that role, was that going to change the dynamics of play of that for me? And how would I feel about that? I think also I was, a part of me was also slightly anxious about the fact that roles like this make you so much more visible and for a long time I felt like I haven't really been that visible you know I can pop up if I want to and then pop back down if I don't want to whereas we know you know your social media world makes you very naked it can make you very naked but that's different so you choose to go on social media mm. but that's a different sort of visibility than you have now you're a council member Yes, definitely. Well, and also because my, my social media, I say audience, like when I originally started to do social media, it was about educational marketing. <laughs> so it wasn't geared towards my physiotherapy colleagues at all. Like, <laughs> do they watch you? They must do. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Right. And, and, but at the time I wasn't really even that conscious of that because my conversation was to, to potential patients to, to my, my current patients, to people that I would interact with, you know, when I go and do speaking at schools, uh, when I'm going to do corporate events and I'm speaking there. So these were, to me, this was my, my audience. Physios actually became my audience by default. You know, yes, I'm a physiotherapist, but I don't need the physiotherapist to buy me. You know, that doesn't necessarily keep my business going. Um, but council was it felt like I was stepping into this like a very very different space you know and that space for me I felt like it was going to make me vulnerable yes in a different way to to social media visibility but one of the things we have within within the CSP is that there's been a, uh, an issue with engagement for a long long time and if you follow me on social media you will see that I am visible you know, so and one of the things to raise the visibility for us as council members in the CSP is going to be doing more stuff that has me probably a little bit more visible on on social media, has people knowing who I am, what my views are, what my thoughts are on certain topics so that people can then, you know, approach me, you know, and even if that's them approaching me from my own personal perspective, as opposed to what you know, what does council overall think? Because they're two different spaces too, right? <laughs> you know, um, and I think that there's been, the role itself has got quite a lot of different facets to it. You know, I already wear quite a lot of hats as a business owner, and this felt like it was going to be another hat, and it was going to be very different to the hats I've been wearing over the last six years. And it's you can't shy away from the fact that like I already do a lot right <laughs> and I was there was no doubt that I was adding to my to my workload you know is it worth it yes why do you why do you think it's worth being on council what does it give you well do you know 
<laughs> when you work in a in a field and you have done for so long, I think there's there are so many things that you bypass that don't seem like they're important that you haven't necessarily factored in. I think for me personally, like you know, I'm going to say sitting at this side of the table is giving me a completely different perspective in terms of what actually goes on behind the scenes. We are in what's voluntary roles, but they are non-executive director roles. I think that I'm seeing it from a different perspective, even, you know, I'm still a member, right? I'm, I'm still a member. And I, I still get to hear the traffic. I'm saying traffic, I use the term loosely, in terms of what members think about, about us as council members. <laughs> you know, what we do and how we do it, if we do anything at all. <laughs> And, and, a, and a large part of me is, I say, quietly confident that I'm going to get so much more skilled in this role so that people, when they are coming to ask me what I do, how I do it, what's the council's view on this, I can actually answer them. I also think that because I'm already visible on social media and people see me, you know, I had somebody slide into my DMs on Twitter and say they were so glad I'd got onto council because I was authentic and they felt that council needed that. They needed authenticity and that had given them some hope. So, so w whether I'm completely authentic or not, yeah, um, I know that that is number one, what I'm giving off. And if that person, for example, and I'm using that one person out of a membership that is, is member-led and 62,000 has 62,000 members, if that one person feels like they can slide into my DMs, come and ask me a question, they'll come and ask me a question. That one person feels like they can do it. There'll be others that feel like they can do the same. So I think... It's also given me personally this feeling of, of confidence that the work, the graft I've been putting in, in lots of different areas of my life, particularly my work life, that it's, it's been worth it. So it is a pleasure to be bringing the Business of Healthcare podcast in partnership with DKMS UK. DKMS are a blood cancer charity on a mission to find a blood stem cell match for everyone who needs it. I am proud to share that I am an ambassador for DKMS UK and my particular interest in partnering with them is that as it stands, fewer than 3% of patients from a black or mixed ethnic background are on the stem cell blood registry. We need more people to sign up to the registry and more people to spread the message. So I hope you will join me in doing so. To sign up to the registry, please visit www.dkms.org.uk to get involved. In the lead up to your kind, it was like an election, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Were you told to turn, to like tone it down? No. Nobody told me to turn it down. In fact, <laughs> I haven't Speak freely. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't told to turn turn it down, and and de definitely not from you know. I'm going to say any powers that be. Yeah, I've just always been conscious that when you put yourself in a position like this at a director level, people are watching you. So if you make a choice to stay really loud and really bold, and and that's true to you. I always think what, however you decide to position yourself, you need to be able to back that. Like rightly or wrongly, you just need to be able to back that. Because there's always going to be someone who wants to ask a question, who is going to critique you or has got an opinion. You know, they're like backsides opinions, aren't they? We've all got one, but we don't all have to see it. <laughs> and <laughs> that's from one of my friends who said to me all the time. But I was concerned that in getting the position, I would be watered down. I will not lie and say any differently. You know, my feeling was if I got in there, the, hey, Leanne, may not be able to be, hey, Leanne. And it, would I say stuff that was like controversial and didn't match up to council's views and opinions? Now, obviously I've not been in the role, well, actually I haven't, I don't formally take my position until the end of this month. Oh, okay. Like formally, right? But I've done council meetings already. Um, we had the Virtual Physiotherapy UK last week. We were announced. The, the six of us have all been announced, you know, so up goes the following on Twitter. because now very exciting. Yeah, and it is. And, and there is this, 
there is this build, there is this build up. Now, I said to you before that there are not that many, like physios were not my audience in terms of the educational marketing that I, I do, but I'm massively aware of the student following that slide into my IGs like quite a lot. <laughs> so they're watching what I'm doing. Some of them will, I think I posted up on my Instagram the other day, someone was just like, they're just inspired by the work I do, mm. being a black female physiotherapist, and they hope that they can like give in the same way I have. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's an, like one amazing thing to say to someone. I'm also, you know, with the physios that I do already know or who have already connected with me, and I say virtually, because I feel obviously people that I don't know, I don't know what they look, I don't know what they really think. Some some people are on social media, they don't post anything. They've got one post and that's it. They don't put anything on storing. And just saying to some of those people, which I did do recently, saying, you know, I know that you you backed my campaign to become council member and you were sending me love and luck and and you know, I'd love to come and meet your your workforce. Can can we arrange for me to come in and and you know just just meet people? Doesn't even have to be, you know, all that formal. But um I'm very conscious that I like to show up how you find me now, like in this conversation, that this is how you find me when you meet me face to face. I'm not different. Like I am exactly the, the same. And I always talk about when I meet people, whether that person would be like my friend at school, I, you know, and the workplace to me is exactly the same. There are some people who you get on with, like there's crazy love before you even before you even know them. There are others that you're like, mm, do you know what? We just don't get on. We never really see eye to eye. And you know what? It's okay to let bygones be bygones. And there's nothing. That person hasn't done anything to you, and you haven't done yeah, anything yeah. to them. But the energy is there. Like, so I'm very conscious that in the way that I present myself, and you're laughing because you're almost like, yeah, I know that scenario, Leanne, and I feel you because, and, and this is part of the reason why you and I are here, right? When Rachel Moses had said, oh, you know, reach out to Tara. Like, she's doing some amazing work. You know, was, you know, have a chat with Tara or, you know. I was like, I don't know Tara. <laughs> I'm not going to want to chat to me. Like, <laughs> but then we had this whole conversation and I, I come off the call and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm an inspired black woman and I've been inspired by another amazing black woman who's obviously making some massive ripples in her field. And I'm like, you know, I'm you not. drive away, you drive away and you're like, yeah, I can change the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Like, I'm like, you know, bring it on. Council member, what? I'm going in for the whole job. Like, <laughs> I can do this. I just give myself this pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't, do we? We just don't, you know? No, you can I see it in other people. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what was said, but I did think I have no idea why you're talking to me. <laughs> but you've got it. You're fine. But I think sometimes, you know, that reflection, I'm trying to think, I think it may have been that I listened to a podcast or something and it was saying that by default, most of us live in the negative. So it's much easier to live there, to be positive, to sustain that positivity and to be able to radiate that like effortlessly to people is actually hard work. So if you say to me, do this, the immediate response is, I don't think I can do that. Like most people don't respond going, yeah, I got this, I can do that. Most people do not have that as their default setting. They'll say to you first, I'm not really sure. I don't really think I can. Even the, the people, you know, you've got yes people. The yes people are yes people in terms of tasks. I'm a yes person. Even when I can't do it and I've got loads on my plate, I've had to learn to say no. But we don't say yes out of, oh, I'm going to say this for a lot of people who say yes. We're not always saying yes out of sheer positivity and we want to do it. And it's not that at all. So again, by nature, some of that is still very negative behavior. I think a lot of us live there, you know? So when you do get, and this is what I said before, you know, this whole thing about finding your tribe, finding people around you that support you. Some of my biggest supporters are people that I don't even know that well, but they'll drop into my DMs and they'll say, love the work you do. Or maybe they don't drop in my DMs at all. They just follow my story. Yeah, you, you get the same people. And you think, 
know. You know, sometimes, and I have done this before, you know, I'll kind of get to know who they are and I'll send something in the post to them. Because I think sometimes people are also so frightened to say anything. You know, they don't want to... you don't want to be weird. don't want to be weird. But yeah. I'm a stalker. Like you said, I'm a stalker. When I get to know, you know, at the moment, my um, one of my people is Gregory Porter. I lost a friend in, in October. And for some reason, something about Gregory Porter and his music, although I've heard him before and stuff, there's something about him that really resonates thoroughly with me at the moment. But I'm not now just listening to Gregory Porter because a part of me is intrigued as to why this man is fascinating me at this moment in time. And, and when I go and I start to read his story, he faced a lot of adversity when he was growing up in the States, you, you know, severely bullied, recalling being beaten up by white children in his childhood at four years old, you know? Then I find out he's married to, you know, a Russian lady, they have a child together. <laughs> then I start stalking. I'm like, when is he in London? Because I need to go to that show. Because there's obviously something about him. I don't know whether it's about his journey or what it is that just touches my soul. And, and this is obviously, you know, people who are of influence have this really, I'm going to call it a special power to touch people without even really knowing them. And the skill to do that is so, so beautiful, you know? It's so empowering. And, and that, for me, particularly through the pandemic, when we couldn't get to meet people face to face, everything was virtual. To be able to connect with people on that energy level, it's massive, absolutely massive, you know? I agree. Towards the beginning of this interview, you said that you, I think we were living in your purpose. Mm, but it yeah. was a journey to get there. So it, as it stands today... Mm. What do you think your purpose is? <laughs> I think that my, I mean, that's a very big question, right? <laughs> a very big question. And a lot of it, for me, stems from my grandmother, you know? And I, I say that because like, she was an orthopedic nurse. And I feel, I feel like the world knows now that my grandmother was an orthopedic nurse, because I've said it so many times. Anytime anybody talks to, me, talks to me about my purpose and my intentions and things, I always feel like it starts with her. And my grandmother was the one who inspired me to be a physiotherapist in the first place. And then my gymnastics coach, who is an osteopath, is still an osteopath, also encouraged me to do the same. And I remember saying to you know both of them, like, well, why do you think I'd be good at that? I, what, why would I be good at that? You know, and their whole thing, my grandmother especially, was like, I just think you're so good with people and you've got this amazing thing about with your touch. I used to massage my grandmother like after her night shifts and things like that. At the time, you're being led by other people and what they think about you because you're a child and you know no different to some extent. I know that the world we live in today has, you know, nine-year-old entrepreneurs who are smashed, you know, it's funny, you know, but in a time I existed before all of that, right? So at nine, if my mum told me the sky was pink, it was pink, even though I could see it was blue, you know? And I wasn't a millionaire at that, you know? But um, at the time when you're a child, you're, you're being led by other people and you're being led by their decisions about what you should do with your life and how you should live it and a lot of us grow with the values of our parents telling us what to do and us following it and then I don't know for me I would say there are certain things that have happened to me along the way that I've gone I'm not going to do it the way my parents would expect me to and yes I know I'm taking a risk you know but inside myself this feels right setting up distinct physiotherapy going for that council position I spend, I have spent a lot of time over the last six years talking to students at schools with students who come from quite deprived areas where some of those children, their parents don't speak any English. Those kids will be the first to go to university. Inspiring and empowering and, and being accessible to those people. And like that work, yeah. I, I, I can't even talk to you about the way that it makes me feel 
let alone what I think it's doing for those students, for those teachers, for the people that I go and talk to in their workplaces. There's something about that energy that is just so next level. And, and when because I can't explain that feeling, that feels so purposeful for me. That feels like this work is my purpose. I'm very conscious as well that my patients will say they've had physiotherapy before. And I was gonna say, you know, this isn't about me being big headed. This is about what my patients say to me on surveys, how they feed back to me. You know, there hasn't been anybody that's listened to them and their journey the way I have. You know, and I think that 50% of what I'm doing, if not more, maybe 70% of what I'm doing is about listening to what people have to say about themselves in order to help me to build my treatment plan. And my treatment plan doesn't always need to be hands-on. And if I do put my hands on them and they think that it's described as massage, even though I've told them that it's mobilizations or it's fascial or it's whatever, it doesn't matter. It's about how they receive that information, how I've helped them to understand it and move forward. And, and one of my, you know, I, I put my, some of the success to distinct down to that. You know, being open to listen to the journey and then looking at how together, how I'm going to help my patients to move forward. I then share in that with them. Now, a lot of services that are provided, people feel like they're an anomaly. They're a number. Is that person going to follow up on them like they said they were going to? And, and some of those processes don't happen. I'm not telling you I do, do it with every patient. I don't need to do it with every patient. But for those that need it, I try to make myself available to do it. Sometimes I was going to say that can be stressful, like holding that commitment all of the time. But I also think it's a bit like hearing a message. You didn't need to know Tara until you needed to know Tara. I didn't need to know Rachel Moses until I needed to know Rachel Moses. And then she was all over my social media, she was all <laughs> over my Twitter. But I didn't know who she was before. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, so... I think that things come up when you need them. Yeah. And then when somebody fits that for you, you are on that journey with them, almost like for what feels like for life. Now I know my patients come in and it's an episode of care. I almost become talk at their dinner table for the five or six sessions worth of treatment, but then I don't see them for 12 months, a year, year and a half. And they'll only come back if they've got an issue. But in the time that I was in it with them, they can feel that I'm sharing that journey with them. And again, that's purposeful to take somebody from a point of, I'm really depressed about this issue. I'm not working. I can't look after my children the way I want to. I'm also a carer for someone. So their whole pers like persona when they walk in the door, completely changing, you know? So that, that's, that's how I feel about my purpose living in my purpose. What's the vision for Distinct moving forward? Where do you want to take this business? <laughs> Good question. In fact, I, I'm, I'm spending the time at the moment evaluating just that because I feel as though my whole career has shifted, like things have moved. And probably in a way that maybe I didn't expect them to. Like even, uh, you know, for council, I was the highest scoring candidate on to the board, right? Were you, was that surprising? Yes. No, it wasn't. Yes. I don't even know who the other candidates were. I'm not surprised. <laughs> to me, yes. Um, and I think with that, like you go, oh, you know, maybe I have impacted or reached so many more people than I have, like, even imagined, you know, um, and, and not necessarily then, like, like realising that about yourself, you know, there's things that I think that, um, but, I, but I know that Distinct has been my vessel for a lot of that work. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, because I think without Distinct... I don't know that people would know who I was. I, I always felt that when I worked for people, I was working for them. So I was fulfilling their vision, their dreams, their goals, their mission statement. 
now I think that, you know, I'll get to focus on mine. And I know, I don't, you know, there's, 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 there are a lot of facets to my journey into working for myself. But one of the, there were two things in particular that happened that made me say, mm -mm, I'm coming out of working for people, this isn't right. One was when a manager told me that I owed them time. And I just remember like, it was like the words hit my eardrum, but it wasn't like a hit me like do, 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 do. It was like, boom. That's how the words felt in my eardrums. I owe you what? What did you say? And, and, and maybe like the way that the person said it, like, you know, even, even on reflection, I probably, you know, probably I maybe overused some leave or at the time I was doing my master's, right? And I was a self-funding student to do my master's. But that was one thing that somebody said to me at the time I went, mm -mm. The second thing was applying for a position that I was told my application had been received, but at the end of the day, had for some reason never got to the headhunters. I was an internal applicant. HR confirmed receipt of my application. The job was extended. The application time was extended because they said they didn't have enough candidates. And at the end of that process, it seems that those applications were sent to a headhunter. I don't know the process, but apparently my application never made it to these headhunters. And at the time I was like, what do you mean my application didn't get there? I don't understand. Can someone, I need someone to explain that. To, like I was, I just didn't get it. And when I had a conversation with the person, this, you know, this person who was internal, but not working in my hospital, this was a, a hospital chain. I remember coming off the conversation, no apology or anything. This was handled in a very insensitive way, probably for another podcast. Um, I remember thinking, that's it. I am not leaving anybody else now to handle my destiny. Because it's very clear these people <laughs> do not value me in the way I think that I value myself. And they certainly cannot see my effort level to then at least give me what I think I deserve. Right? And so, when I think about the future of Distinct, I think about the flexibility that I am afforded in having my own business. I want to build here to become a multi-therapy clinic. So I have somebody doing acupuncture at the moment, uh, and I'm going to grow that in terms of practitioners and clinicians who provide treatment here. But the underlying thing about Distinct is that it will provide services that help people to work from the inside of them out, right? Our world is so quick and so fast. You haven't got time to be ill, injured. You haven't got time to be down. And although we talk so much about mental health and acknowledging it, and it, some of it to me is lip service, because if you are ill, so many of us still don't feel like we got time to be ill. I still need to do that thing I said I was gonna do for Tara. I must pick up that phone call at 3 p.m. because I said I was gonna do that. I must get to, because such and such is expecting me. We can't, we're juggling so many balls that we don't drop any of them for fear of what might happen when you then come out of whatever your crisis point is. And I want people to feel like when they come in here, I mean, I have my reggae, my reggae music plays in my clinic when you walk in the door, if I'm feeling like I want to play reggae, that's what we'll be on. And it won't just be traditional Bob Marley. It will be a host of artists playing. I will play a range of music, but I do play cultured music that makes me happy in this space. And when, I, when my patients are coming in here, I want them to feel like this is also a space that they can also own a part of. And the same goes for the clinicians and practitioners that work here as well. You know, I want this to be a space where people for when they come here, this is about their well-being and it's about their journey to whatever that recovery is. Leanne, you are making me. I thought I really like my physio. <laughs> <laughs> 
it feels different. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, this, yeah. it could be different. <laughs> it can be. It can be. I have spent the last six years doing what feels right for me. Oh, uh, just, you know what? So on the back of, I don't know, the audio is going to go all funny. Yeah. There it says, I've got one picture that says, don't wait for the opportunity, create it. And the other one says, do more of what makes you feel happy. And now when I'm stressed, I just think, what feels good? Yeah. And it's just like, oh, just do this. You know, it's yeah. you have to be, you have to be selfish. You have to think about what do I need to do to make myself happy? And in doing that, you make, you support the happiness of others and it, you want to do it versus feeling like you have to. Yeah. Leanne, I could talk to you. we'll have a part two thank you so much for coming on I know there'll be so many people listening to this you don't let me affirm you one more time you don't know how amazing I feel like I've got to cry you don't know how amazing you are like honestly when you show up singing you're smiling you know I think as I said at the beginning I think we do need to take our work seriously but we don't have to be so serious correct and I think you um you do that beautifully you're so inspiring you're so lovely to be around and yeah I'm glad I'm glad I know you thank you it's lovely to know you too thank you for your work if people want to connect with you where is the best place I'm on Facebook and Instagram Facebook is distinct physiotherapy but Instagram is Distinct Physio. And I'm also on Twitter as Distinct Physio. And I'm on LinkedIn as my name, just because it's a bit more formal. So you'll find me on LinkedIn as, as Leanne Antoine. They can DM me if they want to. Email is Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at distinctphysiotherapy.com. But I also have a website, so distinctphysiotherapy.com, if they do want to take a look at what I'm up to and what I get up to. So yeah, I'm, I'm available on most social media platforms. Thank you. Not TikTok yet. Not yet. That's surprising. I think you'd lend yourself well to TikTok. Everyone says that. Time, time. (laughs) Thank you. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more in insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.